work, nice balance. From yoga teachers to IT consultants, filmmakers to artisans, many people seek more flexibility and freedom in their lives and therefore start their own business. In fact, there are over 31 million self-employed people in the EU alone and an even crazier number, over half of the Gen Z workers in the US freelance. Of course, this calls for a whole new ecosystem to support those makers and doers. Especially bookkeeping seems like a daunting task to most micro-entrepreneurs and opens an entirely new market for professional services. One of them is a digital bank called Holvi. Their offering is tailored to small business owners. Invoicing, expense management, bookkeeping, etc. are all wrapped in what they call contextual banking. It's no surprise that they have their origins in Finland, a country where over 90% of the people already use online banking services, compared to the EU average of only 54%. I'm Simon, you're listening to The Idealists, where Celia and I tell the story of leaders who shape the future of business. Holvi's impressive office is located in Gallio, a vibrant, still laid-back district in Helsinki. That's also where we met Thomas Toivonen, who co-founded the company in 2011. Thomas is a fintech expert, worked in the industry for 15 years and founded multiple technology companies. He's a great example of the Finnish NoBS approach to building customer-centric products, always the best solution in mind and pragmatically guided by Holvi's company values. But what exactly made him start a bank right after the financial crisis hit? Well, I mean, that's an interesting, interesting question. Um, and in, in some ways, we kind of didn't set out to, to found a bank as, as such. Um, but more we were ourselves, the founding team, we were entrepreneurs ourselves. So myself, Christopher and Temu, we were running a small software development consultancy. Um, Mikko Terenhovi, our head of product, uh, he was running his own um, small design studio and basically what we wanted to have was the type of tooling that would allow us to run our businesses better, allow, allow us to, to focus on, on actually running the business instead of spending all that manual time and effort in the routines of business management. So we wanted to find a, a solution that would automate that. Um, and there kind of really wasn't anything out there in the market. Um, so we, in very many ways, set out to, to solve this problem that we had ourselves. And then we also had, before then, built a couple of tools to, to run different types of nonprofit activities. A couple of us were running uh, something called the Alternative Party, uh, the largest uh, digital media festival in the, in the Nordics at the time. And we'd build ticket sales systems, accounting systems, expense claim management systems, easy-to-use accounting for those non-profit activities. Um, and we'd seen that, okay, it is possible to, to build these better tools that will allow people to, to focus on, on the actual activities. Um, but we didn't really see those tools available in a business context. So that's kind of where it, it, it very much started. We wanted to have that, that kind of tooling ourselves. So you had this frustration, but also the capabilities of doing um, similar, I would say, type of problem solving. And then you paired the two to have this bigger vision. What became Holvi? Yeah, you could say that. Um, so kind of, um, I would put that there was three things. One was kind of the, the need that we, we had ourselves and of course saw in the, in the market as well. Um, the second thing was that we had these prototypes that we'd built for, for kind of other contexts, but which 
were adaptable to what we wanted to have in a business context as well. And then the, the third thing was um, a, a number of changes in the market that actually made it, it possible. Um, I mean, in, in recent years, there's been a lot of um, talk about the, the second payment service directive, PSD2, um, which of course is a big opportunity as well. But then back in, in 2011, um, PSD1, the first payment service directive, was still a, a very new thing. Could you just describe what was the PSD thing about? So PSD is the payment service directive. Now we've got two of those, like the first and then the revised one. Um, and the, the first payment service directive was a regulatory framework on a pan-European level that basically brought a new category of regulated entities called payment institutions. And that's what, what we are. So we're regulated on a European level as a, as a payment institution. Um, and you can think of payment institution as a, as a lightweight bank. Um, so that's what we are and, and what we do. And as that new regulation had um, come in force um, in, well, basically it was um, approved in 2007, but then ratified a couple of years after. Um, and a little bit later in, in Finland as well, because the Ministry of Finance was a little bit more occupied with the financial crisis rather than, than, than bringing immediately new, new regulation. But in any case, this payment service directive allowed us to start to build a alternative to, to traditional banks in a way that was suitable for a startup. So slightly lower capital requirements, a little bit more straightforward regulation. So you could actually build this bank replacement as a startup, which before this regulatory um, uh, framework came into force, you couldn't really do it. So, so that was kind of the market also allowed us to, to then take those two other things, the prototypes, uh, the need, put those together and start to build what, what is now Holvi. Mm -hmm. And as you said, in, in that sense, Holvi is like a, this kind of component, or there's, like, there's two components to it. The one side is the kind of lightweight bank or the banking system. Yep. The other component is maybe the business services you also offer. Yep. And do you think from, again, from more the, the founder's perspective, was it more the tools you were interested in in the beginning or was it more the bank you were interested in? Or was the one just the tool for the other? Um, I, I would say that it, it was both. So um, I mentioned those prototypes that we'd built before. One of the prototypes was something that... Um, Kind of design was not nearly as good as as, as what, what Holvi then turned out to have. But many of the features were there, but we had built that on top of PayPal. We did only the, the business management tooling, um, those things that you see in, in Holvi these days as well, easy to use bookkeeping, invoicing, uh, online store functionality and expense claim functionality, etc. Um, so it had that functionality, but everything was built on top of PayPal accounts. So anyone using the product needed to have a PayPal account. Anyone that they received money from or send money to needed to have a PayPal account. The core was there, it was working quite well, but it was really a limiting factor that you had to have a, a PayPal account. So we had um, non-profit customers, um, different types of associations using the product, um, but then if they needed to for example, they were organizing an event and getting some sponsorship money in to get that event up and running. So they could create the sponsorship invoice through our software. Um, they could send that invoice, they could track that invoice, but then the company that was sponsoring had to pay that with PayPal. And that really didn't work well with, with like traditional companies mm -hmm. that just wanted to make a bank transfer, pay the invoice exactly the same way that they would pay 
any other invoice. Um, so that was really a limiting factor that we were building it on on top of the PayPal ecosystem, which maybe in some markets might be universal enough that it would work, but in many other markets just really didn't work. So that's where kind of the possibility through the new regulation that allowed us to kind of replace PayPal with, with our own internal payment service and, and really provide the banking alternative all in a box and the business management tools kind of really made it, it possible. So I would say that, that both sides are, are kind of equally important as the, the integration between the banking and the business management tools allows us to, to create this, this setup that then really saves time for our customers. Right. So that was the, around the time when you then decided to full on build that technical infrastructure for payment services yeah. yourselves, basically. Yeah. It wasn't a scary situation. I mean, PayPal has, has been around for years, I guess. And what was it like to to build that from scratch, to, to challenge that task? Well, I mean, it, it, it was not a, a, an, an easy or light decision in a, in a sense that it meant that we, we needed to get regulated, um, a lot more paperwork. Um, we had to change many things in, in the way that we operate. Um, if you're launching a new product, you'll, you'll have to take that through um, certain regulatory process. So it was a lot more process that got um, involved to, to product development and, and, and all the, the operations that we have. But also at that time, we maybe didn't um, fully realize like how much work it actually is. And um, if we had known, would we have gone down that path? Who knows? I mean, you can always make these counterfactuals, but but you never know. Um, there's two types of startups. It's there's those where people have been in an industry for a very long time. They've been 25 years in an industry. They see some very specific inefficiency. They set up a new startup. They start to tackle that specific inefficiency with with a, a product that they then sell to the industry that they know like their back pockets. Um, but then there is the, the other type of startup where you tackle a, a huge market, a difficult market, a difficult sector, and you kind of wouldn't do it if you upfront understood mm -hmm. like how hard it is. And this is a little bit more on on, on that side that mm -hmm. we you had to learn it, it, it the hard way. But right. Sometimes it's good to be the outsider and not know because otherwise you maybe wouldn't come up with a good solution. That's true. And then you might not even just start because you're like, this is going to be so much work. Mm -hmm. There's easier things to do. Mm -hmm. um, right. And that probably occupied your time from 2011 when you started to around what time did you actually went like, when when would you say was the first, like the V1 of whole V really like ready for for the clients or for the customers? Well, I mean, we, we got the first regulatory clearance in the summer of 2011, mm -hmm. um, and we had the, the first live customers using the platform with our own payment system by the end of the year. Um, so that was a relatively quick process to to get kind of the basics up and running. And you were just um, the four founders, or how big was the team back then? So at that time, we had one or two additional developers, but we were five or six people um, at, at that point. So by the end of 2011, we had the, the core of the core platform um, running, but then of course it's been a long development journey from there on. Um, and then the first customers outside Finland, we, we started to, to bring on board in, in 2014. So it was this kind of the first two years or so, uh, we were just working in the, in the Finnish market. Mm -hmm. 
And what was the decision process behind? I mean, that's a recurring pattern in the Nordics as well. Every company you build is initially has to be kind of set up to a larger scale than the Nordics yeah. because the, yeah. the markets yeah. itself are so small. Yeah. What was the thought process behind which market to tackle first? What, yeah. what would be the, the next growth stage of, of Holvida back then? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, if, if you look at the, the very classic route for Finnish companies to internationalize, it, it's in the old days, it's always gone from kind of from Finland to, to Sweden and then, then additional markets, um, kind of overseas markets. I mean, that would have been an option. But once we'd kind of get everything up and running in Finland, we'd already done the full integration to, to the euro payment systems. Going to Sweden, Denmark, Norway, that would have been three additional krona uh, currency integration. So we would have had to, to build the core payments integration thing for each market separately. And, and I mean, Sweden is about twice the size of Finland, so bigger market, but Denmark, Norway, about the same size of Finland. So didn't feel very attractive to do a lot of that technical heavy lifting before we can even uh, roll out a product on, on those markets. Um, so that's why we then decided to kind of skip the Krona zone uh, right away and then go to the continental Europe, um, to Eurozone countries. Um, and basically what we had um, initially, we actually opened up in, in Ireland and we opened up in Austria. Those were kind of the, the two first markets. Um, the hypothesis was that, okay, we'll test in Ireland then go to the UK, of course, different currencies. So there we would need to do the integration, but a much bigger market, so it makes sense. And then from Austria, we'd kind of learn in Austria and then go to Germany. Um, but there I must say that we were um, a little bit naive, especially with the Austria to Germany thing mm -hmm. that, okay, if it works in Austria, then of course it will More or less work. the same. You, you'll just drop right. it in Germany. Oh, well, not quite. Um, so, so that was a. a what was the challenge there? Was it more like on the cultural side, or is it more on the acceptance side of the people? What was it? Well, challenge? I mean, um, of course, you, you localize the language once, but almost everything else, um, you'll kind of need to need to localize um, separately. Um, and as we provide the the business management tools uh, in, in in our product, so all the accounting integrations. Um, they're completely different in, in, in each market. I mean, sure, you've got value-added tax that works pretty much the same way across um, EU countries. Um, but beyond that, like taxation, the different types of companies in the markets, the different ways that you register to be a freelancer, um, our target market, um, it's very different. So you do need to do a lot of um, per-market localization and then to go deeply into a market it then made much more sense to, to really kind of focus that effort into Germany um, rather than, than Austria. So now kind of have two home markets, Germany and, and, and Finland. Um, and we've got our two main offices in Berlin and, and here in, in Helsinki. So over the years, we've kind of really doubled down on the, on the German market. Could you name just three examples of how, the, how your customers are different in Finland than they are in Germany, because just again, quoting the numbers is that Finland calls itself a digitally advanced country. And I think over 90% use mobile banking is kind of very normal. And I remember a situation two years ago when an elderly woman paid with a, her Apple Pay mm. a smartphone in, in a bakery. And I was just shocked coming <laughs> from Germany. I was like, okay, that's like the future here, right? Yeah. Whereas in Germany, you have like this 
tradition of uh, cash, right? Yep. This uh, very kind of uh, angsty mindset of how to deal with cash. And, you know, it's like very different mindset. How do you, what, what are examples of those two cultures clashing in that in that sector? Yeah, I mean, uh, you already mentioned um, cash, and that's a good example in, in terms of how people's approach in, in Europe in different countries to money and, and by extension to banking can be very, very different. And we're, of course, a fully digital service. We don't have branches, so you can't come into to our offices and open account or withdraw cash. Um, you can, of course, take the whole card and go to an ATM and, and withdraw cash. But kind of Germany, comparing, for example, to Finland, is, is so much more cash-based. In Finland, you can, no matter how small purchase, you can always pay it in with card. Um, and for us, of course, when we want to automate the bookkeeping for our customers, it's of course much easier to automate that whenever, when all transactions are digital. You already have the data and you can build rules around the booking of those expenses to the accounts of the entrepreneur. Um, so there are certain things where you can't yet uh, reach the same level of, of automation in a, in a market like Germany where cash just is part of life in, in completely different ways than that it is, for example, in, in, in Finland. And that's one of the things that we've had to adapt on, on product level and messaging level and, and really also kind of understanding deeply the different ways to, to approach money and banking and business management in, in Germany. Um, and then one, one other kind of related difference is that, for example, in Finland, people um, as freelancers, they're often very comfortable doing all of their taxes themselves. So Holvi provides the support and the reports that that they need, but then they're very comfortable just sending the, whether it's value-added tax or other uh, annual tax declaration, they can just send it themselves. Whereas in, in Germany, it's much more a culture that you use um, this tax advisor story, but other, um, and you're not, I mean, you could equally well do the tax filings yourself, but it's just culturally not really done. Um, and, and there is, isn't really a reason why, why things are, are the way they are. They just are, and it's, it's, it's part of the culture. And, and, and that's kind of something where you could try to kind of um, get people that, hey, this is, this is a better way to do things. Um, DIY, do, do the taxes yourself, we'll provide you the tools. But if that's just not an ingrained cultural behavior pattern, uh, you're just better adapting to that than trying to adapt the, the people to, to the way, um, well, a, a little bit, you always want to make your customers adapt to better ways of doing things because you also want to make their, their lives um, better and more and more efficient. But, but yes, um, you can't change everything and you, you just need to adapt on a per market basis. And um, if you talk about the market, then it's kind of clear today you're building it for makers for doers for yep. micro entrepreneurs was this from the beginning when you founded holvi yeah i mean it's, it, it has evolved a, a bit over over time um we did have uh, businesses from from the start but um but all in the the earliest years um here in finland um we had a big segment of customers being um non-profit associations which was kind of part of the background where, where we came from. So different kinds of um, event organizers, charities. Um, so these types of customers, sports uh, associations, um, 
Boy Scouts, uh, Girl Scouts. So this was uh, actually quite, and still is, uh, a reasonably large uh, segment of the customer base. But then from the earliest days onwards, we also had a lot of um, freelancers, sole traders as customers. Um, and the initial segments that we were able to get good traction in, in Finland were was kind of um health and wellness uh, segment. So we got couple of leading yoga teachers in, in Finland as customers. Um, and through that, we got very good coverage in in those segments and adjacent segments. Um, and, and kind of one of the, the learning from that is really that when you had someone um, succeeding with Holvi in their, their business, if they're, for example, a yoga teacher, um, then when they would tell um, to basically other yoga teachers that, that hey, I'm running my business using using this new new service Holvi and it's working really well for me. Um, that's an extremely strong recommendation. I mean, when you get this recommendation from another yoga teacher, this person might not be uh, an expert in in banking, but but you trust them, especially if it is a, a well-known um, teacher in in your industry. That okay, they are having success in their business with with this service, and and then then it is a really really strong strong recommendation um probably the best one you can get yeah absolutely absolutely and was this a, an early on realization that you have this kind of ambassador model that you have to find your beacons within your kind of target industries and then develop that from from that on or was that kind of more on the later stage of, of the business no i mean it was a pretty early realization um and, and a very organic realization for us in in the sense that that's kind of um what would the direction that our customers pointed us to. Um, we just saw that there was traction in certain segments and and then um, when looking at that traction in, in, in some more detail, you, you could see that there is these kind of key individuals through which um, the service was spreading. And then, then of course we tried to use that same method to enter um, kind of other micro verticals, find the what kind of these days would be called influencers. Um, uh, 2011, I'm not sure that influencers was, was exactly as influential a term as, as it is now, but that's really the strategy that we then started to follow from that, that early success. Is that a universal thing you could apply to all the new markets you're going as well, in, in Germany as well? It is, and, and it does apply to, to all the markets. Um, of course, as a strategy, it's... Um, It's very cost effective once you get it going, but it's something that will take some time to build. Um, I mean, of course, in, in Finland, we had the advantage of having been on the market for a long time, having run ourselves um, businesses here, uh, been active in, in nonprofit activities. So kind of the, the very earliest recommendations, of course, were from us to our own own peers that, that hey, we found this very good tool <laughs> that, um, that we've had very good success in our activities. Um, so there we had kind of the seeds to start building from um, immediately, but then in, in other markets, it is a lot, lot more work to then convince the first people um, and then get the snowball growing. So you had a strong foundation of trust already yeah. through the founders or yeah. the first employees. How would you describe the journey from being a value-driven tech startup from the beginning to now? Well, I mean, that, that's also where, where we've been very much um, guided by our customers. I mean, our customers are micro-entrepreneurs, often sole traders. So there is, is one one person is the company or up to um, 
companies that up to nine employees, ten employees, um, but still um, a small small companies, and that's. That um, of course, as as Holvi, we're now a much bigger company, but our roots are still um, very much there, and and a lot of people that that still um, join Holvi, they've at at some point in their careers been entrepreneurs running their their own practice, whether they've been, let's say, graphic designers or freelance programmers. So so they understand very much the world of our customers, and that's kind of where we want to stay close to the customers, where we really kind of try not to even though it's it's hard to in all aspects avoid like try to be uh, to not become like a big big corporate which then serves freelancers and and claims to kind of stay in touch with the reality of freelancers so it's something where we constantly kind of um need to stay close to the roots so that we don't become too remote from the realities of freelancer life is it something you apply in your daily work when hiring, for example, or where does this really take traction, that, that aspiration? Well, I mean, it, it, it is very much in, in, in hiring, of course. Um, so we do want to, to find people in, in all areas, whether it's in product design or, or supporting our customers. And we want to find people who understand the, the day-to-day life of, of our customers. Um, otherwise, how do we kind of connect with their lives and, and how do we appropriately support them if we don't understand their lives or, or if, if our understanding is just purely abstract that, that we read some EU report, uh, like freelancers are the engine of new job growth. Um, fine, you can read all, all of those reports, but it, it doesn't still connect you with the reality of the folks. Does this scale? Uh, it has scaled so far. Um, what it will scale um, in in going from the amount of employees we have now to to two x or five x or ten x? Who knows? Hopefully, it will. But I think that's something that time will tell. Mm-hmm. And talking about scale and talking about the way from like a scrappy startup to what Holvi has become now is one of the bigger milestones. Was uh, in I think it was. 2016 when you were acquired yep. actually by uh, BBVA, yep. a big Spanish yep. bank, right? Yep. And along the way, I think up until this point, you never raised like giant rounds of, of funding. I, was this a big change in strategy or what was the thought process behind that liquidation process in, in that sense or the decision to, to change that? Um, I mean, so as you mentioned, um, since um, March 2016, we've been part of um, BBVA, um, the Spanish bank, um, one of the, the largest banks in, in Europe. Um, and we're part of something called New Digital Businesses, a unit in within BBVA um, where kind of us and, and other companies um, uh, operate. Uh, one of the The better known um, other BBVA companies is is Simple in the US, uh, a neobank like like N26 or Monzo actually started um, much earlier than these these other companies, um, but Simple is is only in, in, in the US. And we'd known about BBVA, we'd known about the NDB unit that they have, um, and we'd also um, known um, the, the founders of Simple, and we'd also um, visited them in, in, in Portland. And then when this opportunity to kind of partner with BBVA to become part of NDB um, uh, arose. Then we, of course, um, had BBVA visiting our offices, which was very interesting that they brought um, quite a large team, but not only 
finance folks to go over the numbers, but not they also the M&A brought, folks. not just the yeah. M&A folks, but but also um, some of the the NDB tech teams and folks from all areas, um, from marketing to design to to tech. So we got to kind of um, talk actually um, with them, like how do they see working with a startup? How do they see building business with a startup? Going to new markets. Um, with the startup and um, kind of we very much liked what what we heard um, and then maybe a year before uh, we were acquired or a little bit more um, uh, simple had been acquired by BBVA um, and also to to the NDB portfolio at, at, at that time and um, we then called up the the founders of simple and the the references were very good that okay BBVA, they talk the talk, but they also walk the walk. Um, and that was a, a very strong recommendation for us that, okay, this would be a, a very good home uh, for Holvi, would bring us the added resources that, that will, would allow us to go after the market of freelancers in, in additional European countries and do that in a much bigger scale um, than we would would have done um, otherwise. So then kind of... Um, all the stars aligned quite well and um, we became part of, of BBVA and it's right. been a quite a good journey since then. And how would you describe that relationship or partnership? Because there could be like dozens of possibilities to your company being absorbed within the in the corporate or you acting like a sell outside of the core business and yeah. like innovation sell or something like that. What What's the partnership like? Well, I mean, we work um, rather independently um, from BBVA. I mean, we're independently regulated as, um, as a payment institution. And we build our technology stack, our services um, fully um, ourselves. And if you look at um, the markets that we are in from the Nordics and, and northern part of, of continental Europe, that's not traditional markets for BBVA. We are kind of focused on the markets where the corporation otherwise didn't have a footprint. So it's quite a natural fit that we work in the markets where we are and then um, the existing markets um, are pretty well served by the BBVA group already. Um, so we target the underserved segment of micro um, entrepreneurs, micro um, enterprises, as well as those markets that are not served by the group yet. If you say the stars aligned pretty well, that they yeah. understood the values and the vision you had? Yeah, absolutely. And um, and, and maybe the one of the key things for us was that we didn't want to be acquired um, as a kind of research lab that would build really kind of some future far out products that, that might be really cool on paper, might be really cool technology, but might never actually roll out to any significant number of customers. So we actually wanted to keep building products for, for customers in the here and now, uh, products that are rolled out right away to, to customers and, and where we can actually make an impact uh, to the lives of our customers. That's also kind of where where um, our goals and the goals of, of BBVA very much um, aligned. And fast forwarding that to today, because that was 2016. And yeah, then a couple of years now, ago. Yeah, we're now a few years later. And you talked about the kind of underserved category of banking for micro entrepreneurs. Yeah. Obviously, there are some competitors in the market right now. And um, also, for example, the um, Hafsi 
uh, went out of business, for example, and Deutsche Bank working on first, I yeah, think is yeah, the product yeah. called, and, and, and trying to scale that. Competition is not coming from one side, right? I think competition is also coming, like, obviously from the banking side, but also from the um, accounting side, right? Mm. I think um, this contest, sort of a comparable yeah, banking yeah, yeah, service yeah, yeah. In, in Germany as well, where Haufe is, a, is, a, is integrated as a shareholder, yeah. which yeah. produces LexOffice and all these uh, accounting software. So this is kind of a, a dynamic market where the competition is not only, like there's not only headwind from one side, but yeah, also from, yeah. from other directions. How do you deal with that dynamic environment and, and that challenges? Well, I mean, of course, in the past couple of years, there's... Um, more entrants have, have come into the market um, targeting um, similar uh, segment of customers. Overall, we see that as a, as a really a positive thing because at the end of the day, the market is, is still kind of wide, wide open. And for many um, freelancers, their first port of call might still be their traditional Sparkasse or, or whatnot, where they would kind of out of habit or, or where they have their personal bank account, they might go to these uh, more traditional providers. Um, so the way we kind of approach the, the market and the, the other entrants is that together, um, us and whether it is Condist or Penta or other um, players, we're educating the market that, that hey, there is actually um, options out there that you can use and that you can actually get much better services from a new entrant from a fintech than you would get from traditional players. Um, so I think it's to the benefit of all of us as a new entrants that, that customers get much um, more uh, awareness of this option. And it, it also kind of legitimizes the market that, okay, you can actually use someone else. Because I mean, banking is a very conservative market. Um, so in, in that sense, um, I think it's only, only positive that there is these other companies in the market. And zooming out on that and, and looking at the bigger picture here is that there is this kind of mega trend, a bigger trend of what is based on life blending, what we what we mm. call life blending when, when work and life and you know all this blends into one thing and people are starting to have this desire for more flexibility and more freedom and therefore freelancer working as a freelancer, working as a solo entrepreneur becomes more attractive and to yep. more people. I think just quoting numbers, 31 million uh, self-employed people in the EU um, alone. And this is something which is growing. So that's probably what you've been saying with legitimizing the, the market, yep. I think, is, is one way. What is your kind of main strategy looking forward for those new people kind of deciding for this kind of solo entrepreneurship way or micro entrepreneurship way, how would you attract them? What's your USP in, in marketing terms uh, towards them? Well, I mean, looking at the future, um, the way we see things is that kind of the, the financial management um, puzzle for solo entrepreneurs, freelancers has, has not been fully solved yet, um, not, not even, even nearly. I mean, we've got from us or other players, good services that you get the card, you get the account, you you get the bookkeeping, the financial management, the invoicing, you get these solutions. But but then there's a lot of other areas where kind of the, the finance industry as a whole is, is kind of failing um, freelancer customer segment. So um, of course it gives you um, a lot of flexibility being a, a, a freelancer. Um, and this is definitely a trend kind of um, blending um, the work and the non-work life, but then let's say as um, you've been uh, a freelancer for a number of years, 
maybe um, that's been that might have been your first job already. Um, then you go to a, a traditional bank for a, a loan. Uh, you wanted to buy a house, you want to get a mortgage. And that's a very tricky situation to be in. I mean, you start looking at the forms and okay, what were your previous employers and, and all of that and okay, provide salary slips of, of what's your monthly income and, and, and all of this. And, and there you kind of then realize that, wow, okay, in many areas of life, it's, it's totally possible to have this kind of lifestyle as a, as a freelancer, but then there's other areas which don't recognize that as a, as a valid career path. And then you're really kind of stuck. And that's still kind of something where we as Holvi are not there yet. Other providers are there, not, not there yet. That just as an example, um, the, the ultimate freelancer mortgage product, it's, it's not there yet. Um, so, so there is a lot to, to be done and a lot that we and the industry as a, as a whole, well, the financial service industry can do to, to support kind of being a freelancer as a, as a valid career path. Mm-hmm. Which is tapping into like very much into social developments as well, right? This is not, you, you're kind of developing this in parallel towards those shifts in, in, in society and how people perceive work and, and freedom and, and whatnot. I think it's, yeah, a very interesting thing. And from what I got now is that you looking forward is um, solving that un- still unsolved problem rather than, I don't know, exploring new products or new ways of banking. It's more like doubling down on that micro-entrepreneurship and, and solving that through a broader range of yeah, solutions for delivering that lifestyle or supporting the lifestyle. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, micro-entrepreneurs are our market. It's the, the segment that we've chosen and it's, it's where we want to be uh, for the long term. So we just want to be a better service, better product for that set of customers rather than, for example, then scaling into larger companies. Um, when you're servicing freelancers, it is, yes, it is a business that you're, you're servicing, but at the end of the day, it is a human being, a, a person who just happens to be in business, but who, as you also mentioned, kind of um, the, the work life and the non-work life kind of blends together um, more and more. So to serve that person holistically, then you, you need to stay true to that segment rather than, because then when you brought into to bigger companies, you kind of lose what's special for, for this, this segment of freelancers. And that's, that's also kind of um, what drove us to, to really start Holvi, that there wasn't really banking services that would, would understand that, that specific, specific segment. So we want to stay true to that, that set of customers. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, rate the show on Apple Podcasts, follow us on Spotify, or maybe just tell someone about it. You can find all episodes on theidealists.co. As always, here's our last question. Who should we talk to next? Well, I'll I'll, I'll take one company from from the uh, financial services sector, and that would be Stripe. Um, I mean, they are doing um, a lot of things differently. and um, apparently quite successful at it.